0: Welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, aka Referees. And today we're going to wrap up the Super Bowl. Why? Because there's nothing else to talk about. And it's really low-hanging fruit (laughs) because Chief season's done and... uh, we definitely want to wait to do like free agent t- takes, to do draft takes, you know, who's going to get cut, who's not going to get cut, who are re- who are we resigning, who are not resigning. Uh, so stay tuned for some more content on that. But look, the Super Bowl just happened. Um we will wait to save those takes on what we thought of the Super Bowl and what are the implications of what happened in said Super Bowl. But before all that, Reese, how's it going, man? How you doing? Now that we don't have anything pressing to talk about, we can can kind of just chill a little bit. How was your week? Uh, It's not going too bad. It's not going too bad. Uh, Works on Willow Boulevard. We just had a big beer, wine, and cheese pairing last
1: night with Amagonia Urban Winery and Green Dirt Farms. Great success. Sold out all the tickets. Everyone had a good time. Uh, We got some beer drinkers into wine and cheese, and we also got some wine drinkers into beer and cheese. So... All things considered, I really can't complain. Uh, we've got some fun weather coming up this week. It's gonna. It was 55 today. It's supposed to be 60 tomorrow, and then uh, overnight it's gonna get down to about 13 degrees. And we're gonna have an ice storm because that's Kansas City weather for oh, you. Boy.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that I I don't miss that respect of it. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Not so much. Uh, what What is your favorite beer and cheese pairing, Reese?
1: Oh, man, I got to think. Uh, so we have a test blueberry IPA right now at the small bar, which Green Dirt Ooh. paired with a rosemary spreadable sheep's cheese. That was really good.
0: Ooh. Um, I don't think I've ever had sheep's cheese. What? Oh, what's a standout quality dog. from sheep's cheese? Did
1: we, did we never take you to Green Dirt Farms while you were here? Nope. Oh, my gosh. Okay, next time you and Logan come through, we're taking you here, no question. So sheep's cheese is great because by and large... Uh, It tends to be softer than regular cheese, even if it's like a hard cheese. If it's a rind cheese, if it's a spreadable cheese, it's soft. Uh, it kind of, some of them have kind of a similar mouth feel to like goat's cheese. But the thing I like about this, I liken sheep's cheese to goat cheese the way I liken salmon to tuna. Sheep's cheese lacks a certain kind of like gamey yeasty quality. That's a bit of a turnoff for me for goat's cheese. So I get like all the good flavor and consistency with none of that weird funky aftertaste. Just like with salmon, it's like a very similar consistency and fish flavor to tuna without the fishy aftertaste.
0: Oh, okay. Well, yeah. That was actually a very descriptive comparison. Ho- hopefully, I did green dirt <laughs> justice. If they're listening to this podcast right now, it's, I, I, I'm taking <laughs> I, notes. I didn't. I didn't know you had such strong opinions when it came to salmon versus tuna. Oh, dude, I had. The first time I had legit salmon, I was doing a
1: a gig out in Seattle and I was with a host family for the weekend and they did like cedar plank smoked salmon, like legitimately that fish did not even taste like fish. It was out of the, I, I likened the Seattle salmon to like ice cream in Wisconsin to like barbecue in Kansas City. To brisket in Texas, I mean it was it was of
0: that ilk sort of thing. Interesting. What is cedar plank? Is that a type of smoker or what?
1: They, they just uh, they told me that you put it on a cedar a cedar plank like of wood uh, in the smoker, and it like uh-huh. gets some of those woody qualities, oh. like evaporation's in
0: there. It's oh my. Wow. Dude, I was... Yeah, I guess I've oh. never had actual smoked salmon or put in the smoker. That sounds kind of good. I've smoked salmon on my
1: grill. It's still not the same because there is something about, like, basically them getting the salmon right out of the river up there. But, oh, dude, smoked salmon is just, oh, so good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, got to try I just I uh, just smoked some ribs. Uh, the other uh, for the Super Bowl, I did a rib smoke because I didn't have to take any notes for the Super Bowl. So I'm like, all right, I might as well just check my cheap smoker every 15 minutes and make sure it doesn't go from 150 degrees to 300 degrees. Oh,
1: Dude, that meat you cooked looked really, really good. We'll talk more on that in a second. Here, one quick thing. Here's why you got to smoke salmon. It legit only takes <laughs> like 10 minutes. Oh really? Like, b- because of the musculature and the way the meat is on fish, it it's, even in even in like two, two, 225. Oh yeah, so, soaks it all up. Basically, you just you smoke the crud out of it. Maybe kind of flash cook it without charring it, and like it's smoked. It is smoked. So wow. Yeah.
0: Huh. Interesting.
1: Well, yeah, I'll try it. Speaking of smoking them meats, uh, tell me a bit about that
0: that big old piece of whatever that was that you cooked for the Super Bowl. Oh man! So normally, um, I, I cook these ribs. I actually take it from Emerald Emerald Gossi's uh, um, YouTube channel. He has this really good rib rub, um, Kansas City style, like dry rub mm-hmm. uh, that he does in the oven. So I was like, I got um, Logan got me this smoker. Uh, that's like it's, it's, I don't, I don't want to say this. I told her, I told her not to buy me like a Traeger, right? So, so we, we did find this used smoker that actually cooks really well. Yeah. But the problem with like a non Traeger <laughs> smoker is the heat can jump or decrease in within minutes. Like, I can be like upstairs cracking a beer. Uh, check the score real quick. Come downstairs and the the heat has changed over 200 degrees. So you really do just have to check it all the time and make sure that the heat is between 225 and 275. Uh, typically, you want it around 225 so it doesn't get too hot. But uh, so anyway, I did this traditional emerald rib rub, uh, six tablespoons of of like Kansas City barbecue. And then uh, the key is celery salt, actually. Oof. So you put a teaspoon of salt, pepper, and celery salt. Really brings out the flavor, especially like Kansas City style. I'm almost positive Oklahoma Joe's, or sorry, Kansas City Joe's, does a ton of celery salt in their rub. Uh, anyway, pour that on there. Put on the put on the smoker for about four hours. Um, so there was moments that I like didn't, you know, I was tying my shoes and looked up and it was at 300 degrees. Tip. Uh, so it wasn't at the, like the right toughness that I wanted. I wanted it to be a little more tender, but it ended up being a little bit dry. I think next time what I've seen people do is people will actually put a basin of water. And put it inside of the smoker so that if it gets too hot or the or the smoke is just destroying the meat, um, the water will vaporize from the dish that you put in the bottom of the smoker. Oh, yeah. So I'll try that next time because uh, another time I did apple cider vinegar and I would spray uh, spray the meat every 30, uh, 30 minutes. Um, which I guess kept it tender, but I just don't want to spray it every 30 minutes, you know? So oh, no. it still came out great. Like the, honestly, that rub, you, you just, you can't screw up the ribs if you do that rub. And then some sort of like Kansas City Joe's uh, barbecue sauce after that. I mean, it's just fire. So it's really good. Logan's vegetarian, so I have about two weeks worth of meat right now. (laughs) So if anybody wants to come over, come over and I'll uh, make you some meat sandwich. Armando was smoking
1: the meat for that long winter months. It would be enough to get him across the Great Rocky
0: Mountains into the
1: westward expansion.
0: (laughs) Unrelated, if you... uh, (laughs) If you hunted elk and you hunted one elk, do you know how much uh, or do you know how long one elk will last you like meat wise? Uh, I mean, according to Oregon Trail, quite a long time,
1: but that's not a very scientific number. What's the actual amount?
0: Yeah, just over a year. So about like a year what? and three months. If you killed an elk and you skinned all the meat and stuff and you preserved it, you can have you, you have food for a year. Dude, we guys start hunting elk. What are we doing? what are we doing well you're living in kansas city and i live in colorado springs and i don't want to hunt out here
1: that's fair that's fair hey one quick question you said that your smoker would jump temperatures have you invested in a bluetooth thermometer yet
0: uh i don't have a bluetooth thermometer but i do have one of those like probe thermometers that i just keep on the grill and but no i do need to get one of those wireless ones so that i can just stay in and check the yeah absolutely yeah dude which is one of my one of my videos i I typed in uh on youtube i said how how to use a cheap offset smoker and of course there's like one guy that's like the master of cheap offset smoker so i learned a lot from that guy and that was one of the big things he said invest in a in a bluetooth temperature checker oh that's amazing
1: i've showed you my smoker right the one i made out of a tamale can and a or a tamale pot and a weber mini smoky joe what? Yeah, dude, that's my uh, that's my baby, that's my pride and joy. When you're living in an apartment for the last six seven years, you want a smoker. This is like the only thing you can keep on campus. I mean,
0: I was with you with the grill. Wait, did you use that when like years ago? Remember, it was like you, me. Oh uh, no, 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 no. Okay,
1: no. okay, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> However,
1: this would have been perfect. This would have been perfect that was that was a fun night no that was a super fun night shout out to Noah in front of the podcast shout out to chad shout out
0: to uh alfredo i think alfredo was even there too yep kyle might have made an appearance i forgot if he was in kansas city (laughs) at that time uh anyway Reese, before we get started on the super Bowl, why don't you give us a, a social media blurb hey everybody
1: if you like what you hear you can find us on facebook and instagram at fountain city sm you can also find us on tiktok at fountain city sm Woo! correct all right yep, same same handle. check out tiktok blown up with a few videos there uh <laughs> and if you really like what you hear you can become an official friend of the podcast by donating as little as two dollars at our patreon page at patreon.com backslash fcsm where you'll get access to bonus content and exclusive beer reviews
0: yeah shout out to our new tiktok manager andrew i just sent him videos and he's able to make them into whatever they need to be for tiktoks i think we're almost at we're just over a thousand views on our three videos actually so wow Pretty solid. TikTok is the future. We also have to, we can keep in the podcast or I don't, I don't really care, but uh, YouTube now has its own version of TikTok and like Instagram reels. Um, and I was talking to my brother's girlfriend who is a, a media manager for um, for a cake show actually called Sugar Geek. And she says the most um the most engagement that she gets out of fans out of any platform is this new U- I think it's called YouTube Shorts is what it's called now. Uh but that's kind of funny like that is the new platform for people that are trying to like make it on social media. So uh stay tuned we might get a YouTube Shorts I guess. Dude bring back Vine. Vine was the OG YouTube <laughs> Shorts
1: and that like Vine actually felt like 15 second condensed YouTube videos. TikTok
0: feels like I don't know TikTok doesn't feel the same. It just doesn't. Yeah, TikTok and now TikTok, you can do like minutes upon minutes. Imagine if you were the creator of Vine, just watching all of this, and you're just sitting on your couch, just like splurging on Taco Bell because you're so depressed that your like your genius idea just was not hot enough in 2006. Yeah,
1: I've got I've got a party. Uh, HD DVD and Betamax are coming over, and they said Laserdisc might show up.
0: And with that, let's talk about the Super Bowl. So, for those of you that missed it, you didn't miss much. So we'll see you next week. Thanks. <laughs> 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 uh, just kidding. All right. I mean, well, you, you kind of didn't miss that much, honestly. Uh we'll we'll chat about that. But the Rams win the Super Bowl. Against our boys, the Cincinnati Bengals, 23-20, a nail-biter. The Rams win. Cooper Cup wins MVP. Sean McVay wins his first Super Bowl. Matt Stafford finally wins his first Super Bowl. Same with Aaron Donald and a cast of some other superhero crews. Uh, Reese, why don't we just bounce back and forth? Let's just talk about the game as a whole. Um, I guess I'll kind of preface it with my own opinion, but uh, it wasn't that great. It was not a good game. Um, I would compare it to possibly like a wild card game. I mean, compared to the Chiefs, Chiefs Bills obviously doesn't even come close, but even some of those other games that we saw in the first and second round, Like Packers, 49ers, uh, Raiders. Who they play? Raiders Chargers? Was that no, no, no Raiders Bengals?
1: Raiders Bengals, uh,
0: yep. even. Yeah, even, even Raiders-Bengals. I mean, all those games were so good. And I'm not even talking about, like, nail-biting good. I'm just talking about good football. I feel like we didn't see good football on Sunday.
1: No, I agree with you. It was, it was kind of a sloppy game. Uh, first quarter had maybe a touch of promise to it. But I think, you know, it, it was... The Bengals haven't had a good offense since uh, they played us in what was it Week 16 or whatever. The Bengals looked incredibly pedestrian throughout this playoff run. Uh, what did they put up? 26 in the first game, uh, 17 or 20 in the second, another 26 against us, and then 20 this go around. You know, for for being this new electrifying greatest show on turf with all those high weapons, they've been incredibly pedestrian, boring to watch. And I'm I'm sorry they won all of their playoff games by playing at a level that just wasn't terrible. It's like can we play at so so Raiders are playing poorly, Tennessee played super terribly and the Chiefs fell off of a cliff. They're like can we can we just put a floor at playing decently and we can win these games? And lo and behold, that's almost all they needed to win this game but you know, I'm just I'm ranting at this point. It wasn't great football. The tone of the game really changed when Odell Beckham Jr. tore his ACL. That was that was super sad. Otherwise, I really thought the Rams were probably on pace to drop 35 plus points on them. The Bengals defense really didn't have an answer for that passing game. Uh, but yeah, that's all I'm gonna say about that.
0: Yeah, know I, I I agree with you there because Joe Burrow 263 yards, one touchdown seven sacks with a QBR rating of 39.7, and he still almost won that game. So just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Reese, like being a quarterback or being a game manager is so significant. And in fact, people on our group chat, uh, and we even talked about it last week as well on the on the Supercast, um, how Kansas City's spoiled, right, to have Patrick Mahomes. And they're right. We are spoiled because... Someone like a Joe Burrow, someone like a Matt Stafford, who like are just a little better than game managers, are Super Bowl contenders and are like some of the best in the league in that comparison. And when you have stuff like that, it's kind of boring football, all right. Like Joe Burrow has one of the best wide receivers in the league. And he had one good play. He had he had one good like face mask pull of Shh. Jalen Ramsey that Gosh. that made an incredible play after that. So, so yeah, I I didn't enjoy the game as much as I wanted to with all the weapons that were on the field. Like you said, if OBJ was playing, I think it would have been a blowout. Uh, but the Rams got in their own way. The Rams, same thing. They just couldn't get the running game out. Cam Akers, thirteen carries, twenty-one yards only use uh, Sony Michelle twice and then only use Daryl Henderson four times. Like if, if you come up with some combo there, get that running game going, then you don't always have to find Cooper cup like every single drive in the second half. And it would have been a complete blowout. Yeah. I didn't understand what that was all about. The fact that the Rams had absolutely
1: zero rushing for the entire game. Uh, their offensive line wasn't Ad coming into the game was it was that was that a thing no no they had they
0: have like three pro bowlers
1: I, I mean looking into the stats here it's their leading rushers cam Akers, 21 yards on 13 carries for 1.6 yard average Daryl Henderson seven yards on four carries and it only gets worse from there I mean dude it was atrocious I was a little surprised that offensive genius Sean McVay couldn't come up with some sort of better running schemes than what he was because they weren't even inventive. He wasn't running any sort of counters. It was like every play was, do you remember playing a, it was like uh NCAA football circle, like late two thousands. And the, the default rushing play was like halfback slam that never worked. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like every running play was halfback slam. He wasn't calling it, except if you're Reggie Bush, that always works. Okay, fine. Reggie Bush, exception to the rule. Shout out Reggie Bush, front of the (laughs) podcast. Uh, Anyway, but he wasn't calling any end arounds. He wasn't stretching the field. There were no jet sweeps. There was no misdirection. It was just, it's like run up the gut every play. And
0: I'm like, what are you doing, dude? You're not setting up play action. You're just making your running game worse. Yeah, there was, and and this is kind of what I talked about a couple weeks ago. Remember, I was like, if if the Rams lose, it'll be because Sean McVay is too smart. He's too football nerdy that he's going to get in his own way and not do the obvious thing. Right? the obvious thing is if you are this football nerd genius like Sean McVeigh you start pulling stuff out in the playbook that you've been working on since training cap and you go this is the time that we utilize some of these jet sweeps this is the, the only thing that they did was a failed like fake QB throw from whoever like Van Jefferson or whoever was the QB at that point and it was just so poorly executed
1: <laughs> yeah Stan Kroenke sitting there he's like all right this fantastic halfback to quarterback pass that embodies the spirit of st louis will be known as philly
0: special and i brought i brought marshall falcon to give the halftime speech so that cooper cup can pass it to our boy whatever that guy's name was the backup tight end okay okay in your opinion whose fault was
1: that was that matt stafford whiffing on the catch or was that cooper Cup for a pretty bad throw
0: I think it's Cup for a bad throw. It was just poorly executed. I think he had the jitters. I don't know. And but then again, I don't know how much those they practice that in training camp or like throughout the year. It's like if you're gonna come out with a play like that, like come on, it has to be executed like like Tyree Kill and like Chad Henney type of stuff, you know? Like yeah. Chad Henney you had never seen the field, and then they do that to the Browns last year. It just it's just so executed so beautifully on that fourth down. Um you have to do stuff like that. You gotta do stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, that's one thing you say about the Chiefs is they go to that underhand shovel pass goal line well too much. But whenever they do a trick oration play, even if it doesn't result in big yards, they always execute
0: it. So you have to give them that. Yeah, perfectly. Absolutely. Yeah, no, uh, you, you you can tell they're running that not only in training camp, but throughout the year. All right, we're rambling a bit, Reese. Give me another take from the Super Bowl. What is something that stood out to you, good or bad?
1: You know... I'm going to get a lot of flack for this in the group chat, and I am seriously not Uh-oh. trying to stoke the flames. This is our podcast, so I am taking the chance to
0: express my <laughs> emotions. Uh, um, uh, unless someone like Sam wants to donate $100 a month, then we'll talk about whatever <laughs> Sam wants to talk about, but continue. Dude, uh, we'll have to
1: christen him with his new name, but friend of the podcast, Sam Kuiper Jr.
0: Hey! Yeah, <laughs> we'll definitely have Sam on for the draft talks.
1: A- anyway, <laughs> w- what I'm getting at at this point is that I think suddenly... The bill came due on Joe Burrow. I know he had a terrible offensive line, but for six straight quarters between the Kansas City game and the St. Louis game, he was only sacked twice. In the Kansas City game, it was on a meaningless play in overtime that he took a sack just to not do something stupid and eat yards to set up that game winning field goal. And in this, he didn't get sacked until the under 60 seconds left in the first half. And in those six quarters, He continued to play pedestrian. He had two touchdowns, one interception, wasn't doing anything. He had clean pockets. So I know his offensive line failed him in the second half. But during those six quarters, I still didn't see anything from Joe Burrow. And if we want to go back into the playoffs, we now have empirical evidence. The worst EPA per game in playoff runs for Super Bowl quarterbacks since 2006. Rex Grossman in 2006. The corpse of Peyton Manning in 2015, 2019, Jimmy (laughs) Garoppolo, who cost his team the Super Bowl and 2018, Jared Goff, who did Biff in a Super Bowl. Joe Burrow is now in that company for this playoff run. And you know what? I think having the receivers he has is kind of a wash to that offensive line. It's not like he's waiting for people to get open. He has plenty of guys that can get open. I think we just saw Joe Burrow, who is the king and the pinnacle of the game manager deluxe quarterback.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a really good take, and I was going to add to that. um, Joe was still getting the ball off at 2 seconds and sorry, yeah, 2.43 seconds per snap. So it wasn't like he was trying to find people here and there. He still had a very good game script and could not deliver. Like seven times he got sacked with 26 pressures, 16 hurries and three hits on 43 dropbacks. So I'm sorry. Everyone that's talking about Joe, Joe burrow is the next, even, even them saying Joe burrow is the next Justin Herbert. I can't even buy anymore. I can't even buy that, that, that he, he's going to sniff Herbert, right? Who we know is a good quarterback, but we're not even putting Herbert in, in an elite sense. So there's nothing that we saw, like you said, that is going to catch my eye and say, you know what, that dude's going to be back next year. I can't even say this dude's going to be back in five years because you think the Chiefs are going to get worse, Reese? Um, pfft, I mean, our best weapons are getting this older. This is a rhetorical question. Just say no. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Do you think the Bills are going to get any worse? Uh, probably not. No. Okay, do you think the Chargers are getting any worse? Chargers is
1: going to get better. They're going to have a pretty plum draft pick and a weak schedule next year.
0: Dare dare I say, do do you even see the Raiders getting any worse? I, I think Raiders are gonna keep rating, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so look, uh, all all rhetorical questions to say the AFC is going nowhere, Joe Burrow, and this was your time. You were three points away from going in overtime or four points from winning, and you couldn't even make a play down the field. The one play that he does make down the field is because of Jamar Chase giving a face mask on Jalen Ramsey. So again, this was his opportunity and he blew it. Absolutely blew it. He is game manager 2.0 and yeah, that'll get you this far, but I'm sorry. Josh Allen is still there. Patrick Mahomes is still there. The Raiders are getting better. God forbid that Aaron Rodgers goes to the Broncos, but if he does, yeah, sorry, Cincinnati, even within Cincinnati's division, Is Cincinnati even going to get out of their division next year, Reese? Do we think that, okay, well, maybe we think Baltimore's going to get any worse? But do we really think Baltimore's just going to say, oh, well, I guess the Bengals are good now. I'm sorry, but they're still there in the Browns. Not that they're great. The Browns are a very good, like, prototypical team where they are defensive-centric and they ground and pound. No one's going away, Joe Burrow, and I think you blew it. Well, I mean... The Ravens will not be down to like
1: half of their team being practice squad next year, so they have that to worry about, right? Uh the Browns will have to retool, but I think the Bengals are very fortunate that that Browns roster got decimated with injuries at the midway point and lost their best wide receiver to a trade. So, look, I'm I'm sorry. I know that offensive line is awful and will get better, hopefully. But this was a 13 and 8 team with a fourth place schedule. They had to have a lot of things go their way to make their way into the Super Bowl. Now, the one thing I will say about Joe Burrow and this Bengals team is I think they were the result of having a very consistent and considerably high floor. The Bengals rarely, like, absolutely messed the bed this year. However, you very rarely saw the Bengals playing outstanding football, say for kind of two weeks that threw this whole narrative out of proportion. You know, looking through the playoffs, Joe Burrow going to pull up his stats. He had five touchdowns and two interceptions. That's not great, especially when one of his touchdowns against the Raiders was the result of an inadvertent whistle where the team stopped playing that by rule, you call that play back and redo it. And they didn't just for the lols. And in this game, he had a 75-yard Boy touchdown. He had a 75-yard touchdown pass that, if the blatant offensive pass interference would have been called, he would have had under 200 yards passing and no touchdowns in the Super Bowl. And his final stats in the playoffs would have been, and really should have been, three touchdowns, two interceptions. So, and and this isn't just me playing what ifs here. The inadvertent whistle was straight up. The, the wrong call and would have been called back. That's a touchdown call back. And this offensive pass interference should have been called back. Uh, all this to say, Joe Burrow is a very smart quarterback. And the reason that he's going to keep the Bengals in games and the Bengals will have a very high floor for long, a long time is that he just doesn't make mistakes. This guy is essentially Alex Smith. If you remove like the V chip in Alex Smith's head... That kept him from making some throws. I mean, Alex Smith was smart with the ball almost to a fault. He was kind of like, if this pass is anything less than a 60%, you know, completion percentage, I'm not going to throw it. Burrow's like, okay, 60, 70%. Yeah, 70% completion percentage, I'll throw this ball. And I think that's what sets Burrow apart from your typical game manager is that he knows the risks. He never tries anything too risky, but he's not afraid to try things that he thinks he can make.
0: Yeah, yeah. He definitely he definitely has the the guts, right? He can stay in the pocket, even though he's been sacked a, a playoff history high. What was it? I think it was like 30 times, I think was the I forget what the status, but it's mm-hmm. really astronomical. And for someone with an injury like that, it's it's really inexcusable by the Bengals organization. Speaking of which, Reese, let's um let's do a little teaser for what we're going to do in the summer or maybe in the coming weeks. A What a mini what if pod. That's right. Let's go back in time, Reese. And with the fourth uh, with the fourth pick in the NFL draft. The Bengals pick Panay Sewell, offensive lineman for the Bengals. Reese, two questions, because I know people are going to say, would they even have made it to the Super Bowl? So we'll answer that later. But let's just talk about in the Super Bowl. You have Panay Sewell as your offensive lineman, probably on uh, Aaron Donald at some points. But if they double Aaron, then maybe he's on Von Miller. You have still T Higgins. You still have uh Tyler Boyd as well. Do the Bengals win the Super Bowl with Pene Sewell?
1: Well, I, I think you 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 added the Super Bowl p- game alone, sorry. The, the Super Bowl game alone, yes. I was gonna say you threw the paradox in there right there where it's like if they take Pene Sewell, I'm not convinced they make the Super Bowl. I think uh, they probably lose in the wild card round if they make the playoffs. I think a lot of their making the Super Bowl was the result of some fantastic plays made by Jamar Chase, who is an incredible young talent. Uh, but you flip the script and you saw what happened. You make the Super Bowl, but eventually the check comes due with that offensive line, and Joe Burrow just got destroyed in the second half of that playoff game. So I think if you want to take an isolated thing, if they if they magically made the Super Bowl with Penny Sewell, I think yes. I think having one star young left tackle would have made enough of a difference that I think they could have matriculated some more field goals in the second half. Maybe won this, uh, let's say they win like 24-23
0: or something like that.
1: But I don't think they make the Super Bowl with Penny Sewell. What are your thoughts?
0: Uh, it's it's an interesting case. I don't know if I dismissed the fact that they would not make the Super Bowl uh, with Panay Sewell because I really like T. Higgins. I mean, I, I liked him so much that I traded for him in our fantasy. I forgot who I traded him for. Maybe Chris Godwin. I did Chris Godwin for T. Higgins. And at that time, like, Chris Godwin is still really good, right? Uh, but but I saw something in T. Higgins last year. It, it, this is only This is only T. Higgins' second season. The speed that he has, sometimes you you can get mistaken who is Jamar Chase and who is T. Higgins. They have very similar build, they're very athletic. T. Higgins can still get the one-on-one balls, and he's incredibly speedy. So having him and Tyler Boyd, we didn't see a lot of Tyler Boyd this year, but saw a ton of Tyler Boyd in 2021. In fact, I think he had over a thousand uh receiving yards in 2021. So like these two were trending up. They did not need Jamar Chase. But it's it's an argument that we we just can't simulate, right? We can't really simulate what happened. But I'm going to say they they probably could have made it. I think T Higgins could have could have done a lot of things Jamar Chase did. Uh, Maybe not all of them. I think Jamar Chase is still kind of in a tier of his own. But I think T Higgins would have. We we would have been putting T Higgins in this like you know Pro Bowl maybe wide receiver three. In the Pro Bowl in the AFC with T. Higgins, if you didn't have Jamar Chase, and of course if they had Panay Sewell. again they only lost by by three points. If you that's that's literally maybe you know three dropbacks that he doesn't get hit, or three pressures that Panay Sewell is able to um, convert on finding finding uh, T. Higgins um, in the flat or finding someone in the slot. So yeah, it definitely could have won the Super Bowl. They did not invest. And they didn't even do like a Kansas City Chiefs trying to get Kyle Long, something like that, where it's like, yes, it's not going to like, it's not going to break the bank, which is good, but it's also not going to hurt you by doing that. I feel like Cincinnati made no moves on the offensive line to even just find some veteran presence there to really bolster and help Joe Burrow, who was already injured. So not only do I not like Joe Burrow, but I really don't like the Cincinnati front office. Like, how how do you not do that? So boneheaded being a Chiefs fan.
1: Well, that's the big thing that I've been griping about in the group chat is that Cincinnati is going to have to figure out a way to fix this offensive line yesterday through the draft. And almost to their detriment, they are now going to be the second to last pick in every round in the draft coming this year. I don't know where their auxiliary picks are, picks that they're owned, you know, picks they've traded for and acquired and all that stuff. But they're going to have to find a way to immediately fix that offensive line drafting in the last part of every round. And I say they will have to prove to me that they can do it because we don't have a history of Cincinnati finding talent in the draft. It is easy to find these skill players in the draft when you're drafting in the top 10 every year. It's like, I, I'm not going to give them, you know, an award for drafting T Higgins, Jamar chase mix and all these guys. When they're right there in front of them, you're going to have to tell me you can go out there and find a Creed Humphrey that you can find a six round Smith all of these guys that are like steals in the draft and acquisitions. Now they do have plenty of draft. Uh, they do have plenty of cap space, so they can acquire players. And you know, if their goal then is to to win a Super Bowl in the next three years, and then kind of mortgage the farm once those rookie deals come due with all their skill players, then yeah, I, I think it's definitely plausible that they can go out and recruit some high end proven players. But for longevity's sake, they're going to have to show me over these next coming drafts that they are capable of identifying talent in the draft when it's not laid out in front of you at the beginning of every round.
0: Yeah, no, I I think think that's a really good point. I don't really know the Bengals' draft history and if they are really good at scouting those types of things. So we'll have to stay tuned to see if they can bolster that offensive line because if I'm Joe Burrow, just like Carson Palmer said before the Super Bowl, Uh, Very, very hot take. But now I kind of agree with Carson. Carson said, you know what? If I'm Joe Burrow and you're not going to bolster this line, see you later. I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm going to go to uh, Seattle. I'm going to go somewhere where, you know, the O-line is respected. And I think what we're seeing in the NFL is, especially the Kansas City Chiefs model, is you invest in your quarterback. And then you immediately invest in your offensive line. Everything else comes second. You can find speedy receivers. You can find an, an Allen Robinson, a Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, now Calvin Ridley. You can find those people in free agency. Uh, what you can't find in free agency is a young offensive line that's going to be with your quarterback for decades. So, yeah, good, good stuff, Reese. Let's shout out our our other favorite Bengal. Eli Apple, who allowed four catches for two touchdowns on those four catches. (laughs) Take the L, Eli Apple. I don't need to tell you because Twitter is just absolutely obliterating Eli Apple. um, And a lot of Chiefs players are obliterating Eli Apple. More so, McCole Hardman immediately after the game took a video of his 2019 World Championship ring (sighs) and said, uh, boy, this is pretty nice. (laughs) so here's the thing uh the kansas city chiefs have
1: dodged three bullets over the last three seasons in regards to shoring up their secondary we were in the 11th hour you may remember of getting earl thomas from the seahawks oh
0: yeah
1: we had him uh twice actually we had him in 2018 and then he broke his leg like the week before he would have been clear for us to trade him and then the next season, we had him locked down Sherman. for like a three year decent deal until oh, Baltimore sorry. showed up with like the Brinks truck. And we're just like, yeah, we can't pay that much. Uh, number two, we avoided Jalen Ramsey in 2019 when there was talk that he'd be interested in coming here. We really needed a quarterback or cornerback one. And it turns out he wound up going for like two first round picks and a partridge and a pear tree and all that stuff. And it's like, great. We didn't spend all that draft capital on this guy who was good. But as we saw in the Super Bowl, not Darrell Revis or worth Darrell Revis kind of money. Right, right. Number three, we were linked to picking up Eli Apple in 2019 as well, back Big when Yikes. he was with the New York Giants. That was a kind of sleeper decision of, well, we could pick him up. That would really shore up our secondary. And it was very close, but it alas was not meant to be. And let me tell you what. I am very thankful it was not yet to be because Eli Apple was absolutely cored out there in the Super Bowl. And <laughs> I didn't even know he was still playing, to be honest. I mean, until he started running his mouth after the AFC title, game, I'm like, wait, this guy's still in the league.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, he's absolute trash and uh, he's definitely going to be released by the Bengals. And I'm not sure people are going to bring him in, not because he didn't play well, but he's made some enemies throughout the league. It wasn't just the chiefs that shared stuff. I know the Ravens also shared stuff on Eli Apple. Uh, I know some other people also as well throughout the NFL. I mean, he just has a really bad reputation. If you're going to top crap, like at least be good, you know, at least like, like if, if, if Tyree kill gives you the peace sign, be afraid of that because Tyree kill is still an amazing player and can back it up. But Eli Apple Offering to pay for Super Bowl tickets just to see him get a big fat L, four catches on two touchdowns. dude. Uh, Not so smart, buddy. Not so smart. So now the Bengals really have to shore that up as well. Figure out their, not only do you have to figure out their offensive line, but they also got to figure out that secondary because Cooper Cup at the very end of the game, shout out to Sean McVay for doing one thing in in that second half. Um, He made Cooper Cup the primary target for every single play everything was revolving around Cooper cup and you can double him. But you know, if every single play is going to be revolved around him, he's going to catch a couple of them. And he did and uh, MVP. All right. uh, Speaking about MVP, you know, Cooper cup, we love Cooper cup, amazing player, but not only do we, I like Cooper cup. I also like Matt Stafford Reese. You know, I really think he did things the right way, right? Kept, you know, didn't make a fuss in Detroit. Um, used what he had and really gave it his all. A really good story about himself and his wife. I know they've been through a lot health-wise and just a really good guy, right? No no, no drama. I also, um, I was listening to a podcast and Trent Dilfer was on it. uh, And Trent had some intel about how every morning during the training camp and beyond, Stafford and Cup actually... Um, We're at the facility at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday together, just watching uh, people do third down um, adjustments and just like going through the X's and O's on their own. So it is it is no mistake that Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford had you know one of the best NFL seasons um, in history. Like they, you know, just really put in the work. Now, with all that said, Reese, we're hearing a lot about. Uh, the the big debate is Matt Stafford Hall of Fame worthy. Reese, what are what is your take? Is Matt Stafford after one Super Bowl win deserving to go to Canton?
1: I I don't think so. I think uh as we've joked, I think he's in that hall of very good. You know, where it's like you've put up <laughs> good numbers, you've been a good quarterback, but I always fall back on that sentiment of: Can you tell the story of the National Football League if you omitted the chapter on X player? I think you can still tell the story of the National Football League if you omit the chapter on Matt Stafford, at least as he stands right now. Uh, statistically speaking, you know he's he's been a pretty good quarterback, consistently throwing for over forty-two hundred yards. Uh, Back in 2011, he had his best season where he took the Lions to the playoffs. I believe they were a wild card at 10-6. and He did throw for just over 5,000 yards and 41 touchdowns. That's impressive. We've always known Matthew Stafford to be an impressive quarterback with some really great measurables. But, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that he was stuck in Detroit. And outside of those uh, few seasons, Detroit never did anything. You know, they were... They were always okay. They're always like maybe around 500 at best, but I think if he was a Hall of Fame quarterback, I think he drags those teams to like wild card losses every year the way that like Kevin Garnett used to drag the Timberwolves to like annual first round playoff losses. Awful teams, but the minute you take Kevin Garnett off those teams, you see how terrible they are. The minute you take Matt Stafford out of Detroit, that's, that's what? minus two three wins a year probably
0: yeah no I'm, I'm i'm gonna agree with you there i don't think matt stafford is at the hall of fame level yet but again like look he just won his first super bowl let him have his fun national sports media i love how sports media is already dogging on him dog on burrow come on spend your time <laughs> dogging Seriously. on that guy and dog dog on the Bengals. do some what if pods espn come on no i mean matt look Matt did a great job he made Cooper Cup look like Randy Moss and Cooper Cup is deservedly so but of course you gotta put some of that on Matt on um, Stafford um, he made OBJ go from the most hated wide receiver in the league to then one of the most likable teammates that you can ever have I mean of course that's OBJ but it's also Matt Stafford bringing that team together and like you know zero drama we we heard this dude you know in, in Cleveland just you know he wasn't it you know Baker Mayfield's not the problem OBJ's is the problem uh, Daniel Jones isn't the problem OBJ is the problem okay well look how both those franchises are doing without OBJ OBJ probably would have been the the Super Bowl MVP had he had another touchdown which could have been his if uh, Cooper Cup was doubled every single play uh, but yeah look Matt Stafford one Pro Bowl appearance zero all-pro so he has, he's never been the best quarterback or not even the second best quarterback in the league ever. And, um, a good quarterback, but never in the top five ever no. while he played. I mean, if you're going to be in the hall of fame, you have to be at least a top five player in one season. Uh, if you're going to be in the, in the hall of fame I mean, look at some other guys that are not in the hall of fame. I was just looking, um, DeMarcus Ware, Patrick Willis, Devin Hester, Tory Holt, is no, all these guys not the Hall are of not fame. Nope, Tory Holt is not on the Hall of Get Fame. Get over That's yourselves. Never, uh, he might have been on the ballot, but nope, not in the Hall of Fame. Wow. And between those guys, um, thirty-four Pro Bowls and twenty-four All Pros. So, if these guys are missing the Hall of Fame with an average of what is that? Uh, seven seven Pro Bowls and five five All Pros, like All Pro as an average. He has zero all pros and one Pro Bowl. Like, let him have his dude, Let him have his credit. He just won a Super Bowl. Cool. And something else about his numbers to look
1: at, too, is the fact that, like I said, he was always consistently throwing for about 4,200 yards a season, which is nothing to, you know, sneeze at. But playing in Detroit, it was constantly, you know, throwing because you're so far behind. And when you look at his touchdown numbers, it kind of tells a different story. He only has three seasons over 30 touchdowns. And in my mind... Like, 33 to 35 is kind of that, like, I don't know. It's Patrick Mahomes' average. Well, yeah, but it's, to me, 30, 30 to 35 touchdowns is kind of that watermark for, like, oh, you threw a lot of touchdowns this year. He has a lot of seasons throwing in the mid to low 20s for touchdowns, so it's not like he's a scoring juggernaut who was stuck on a team where, you know, Stafford's putting up 20 26 27 points per game but his defense is allowing 30. it's like Stafford is a very talented quarterback that I think if he if he wins another Super Bowl with St Lu- uh, St Louis excuse me with Los Angeles uh, even if it's next year I think then maybe you can say man mm, yeah, maybe Matt sure. Stafford's making a case for the Hall of Fame but right now uh, I'm sorry he's gonna have to work hard to get that other ring to make the Hall of Fame
0: yeah, I mean, you can only count on your hands, um, quarterbacks that have won two Super Bowls. So if you've done that, then you're definitely an elite category, right? Other than Jimmy Garoppolo, who was the backup for Tom Brady that got two Super Bowl rings. Everyone else, every, everyone else is legitimate quarterbacks that are in the Hall of Fame. Um, so yeah, so we'll see what happens to Matt Stafford. But look, let him have his, let him have his due. I really think it was just Rams. It was right time, right place. You got uh you got a, a leader in McVeigh who not only is a nerd that can do all these plays, but he's also a really good leader. I was watching some of the film um of like him being mic'd up. And yeah, I mean a really good guy, someone you can get along with, this like this bro that just can connect with everybody. And then you got OBJ, you got Cooper Cup, you got Matt Stafford, you got Donald, Ramsey. And honestly, actually, um, who was it? Oh shoot, I forgot his name. Uh, one of the uh Casey Chiefs. Guys, that that breaks down film. It wasn't uh, Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't Kaiser. No, it wasn't Schwartz either. It was somebody else that was breaking down Jalen Ramsey film. Um, and they basically said, other than those two blown plays, he actually played really well. And they, I forgot what his grade was, but it was in the like like eighty five to ninety range was his PFF grade. Other like if you took away that face mask and then his other blown play, he actually played extremely well. So I mean, it was it was right place, right time for the Rams. Um, and they deserve it. LA is now the Mecca for everything sports. Uh, sorry, Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so any any last thoughts, Reese, about the Super Bowl? It could be anything, or then we can just put a button on that.
1: Uh, do you know, kind of like what you said earlier, I thought it was kind of a, an unimpressive Super Bowl. Uh, for a while, it was threatening to be Rams-Patriots uh, 2019 Super Bowl Part 2. For Yeesh. a long time, yeah. I'm a. I I have been very unimpressed with Sean McVay's play calling in two Super Bowls now, uh, which I don't know if he overthinks, if he chokes, or if he's maybe just overrated. I don't know. Let's cut the guy some slack. He's just like five six years older than me, and he won a Super Bowl. So if I win a Super Bowl in six years' time, uh, Siri, take a note, remind me. Um, but you know, I <laughs> yes, Reese, I, I thought it was okay. I, I think this Super Bowl will will be totally on the lower half of Super Bowls of all time. You know, not terrible, but yeah. if, if like the middle mark for a Super Bowl is there, this one is probably, you know, in, in the the 35th to 40th percentile tops.
0: Yeah, I, I, I really hope in like five years people don't compare this to the like 2000 Ravens. Where it was just low-scoring offensive, uh, like on both sides, but people attributed to the defense that was uh, incredibly legit. Like Aaron Donald is amazing, Von Miller was amazing, but this is nowhere close to the to the 2000 Ravens. And I have a feeling that national media might start like like you know years removed from now when people go back to this game and go, why was this so low-scoring? Why two interceptions for Stafford, only one for Burrow? Or one touchdown for Burrow, what happened? And I feel like people would be like, oh, well, Aaron Donald was in it. Von Miller was in it. Ramsey was in it. Cap was in it. Or Rap was in Tyler Rapp. You know, they're all built different. And like, yeah, they are built different. But Aaron Donald was the only dominant player that's nowhere close to a 2000s Ravens. Quick question. Speaking of 2000s Ravens, the dominant
1: players, should Aaron Donald have won MVP in this game?
0: Ooh.
1: I think he should have. I think he really <sighs> should have.
0: I mean, definitely a legitimate argument, but when you have a wide receiver almost 100 yards with two touchdowns in a Super Bowl, and your quarterback isn't like that great, I feel like it was justified for Cooper Cup, especially with the if you take everything, his whole body of work from the, you know, from one to 10. But the fact that Aaron Donald did adjust in that second half where they were where they were rushing from one side and letting Von Miller be on another oh. side. I forget what the terminologies that people are using for it, but it was, it was really good. Right. I think, um, I hope <laughs> crossing my fingers that the Kansas city chiefs are taking notes on what the Rams did of the front four, like what they did angle wise. People are saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a football nerd. I love football. Again, this is Kansas city fans, not Kansas city experts. Uh, But apparently the angles that they were running were incredibly nuanced and Aaron Donald was one of the forefronts of that. So, yeah, hats off to him. If he if he would have won, I wouldn't have been mad if you got MVP.
1: Yeah, I I think it's tricky. I think, you know, Cup definitely put up stats worthy of a Super Bowl MVP. You know, I think that's that's pretty average for a skill player Super Bowl MVP. Uh, I think you make the argument again, you know, philosophically, it's like, was Aaron Donald the most valuable player in that game? If you take Aaron Donald off the field, do they win? I think they needed that. I think they needed the defense to lock down the Bengals in the second half uh, more than they needed Cooper Cup, because I think I, I, I would I wouldn't rule out Matt Stafford figuring out a way to matriculate seven points in the second half, even if Cooper Cup wasn't there. I know it took him till the last minute to do it, but I still think there's a possibility. I don't think there's any possibility that they went without that pass rush, just like crushing Joe Burrow in the second half.
0: Yeah. I, um, to end it, I, I saw one film. I was watching some film and Aaron Donald had three offensive linemen on him at one point <sighs> three and he still, and he still swerved out of a three man block. It was, it was so impressive. I, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, look, Chris Chris Jones is otherworldly, but I've never seen Chris Jones have three blockers, and he gets through all three of them. And then Von Miller's on the other side and just pancakes. Like, it, yeah, true, truly amazing. Um, even though he did not win the MVP, I still hope people remember this as the Aaron Donald game as well. Absolutely. Good call. All right, Reese. Well, uh, this was this was. F- actually more fun than I thought it was going to be because the Bengals lost. And it's always fun talking about the Bengals and how they're pretty much done. Uh, but we are done with this segment why don't we go grab a tasty beer i know you have something really fun for us to review so stay tuned kansas city fans for our this week in craft beer uh, that is going to be the final segment for us by the way after that so uh so stick around stick around for it and then stay tuned on what we have next but why don't you go ahead grab that beer race we'll be back
1: It's everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right. It's This Week in Craft Beer, the part of the show where we take a break, talk about something going on this week in craft beer, and review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. This week's story comes to us... Out of I don't know where I uh, legit don't know where <laughs> this would technically take place. Oh, no, maybe
0: somewhere. Oh, I I, th- I I thought you got it from some clickbait thing again. Oh
1: no, this, this is this is 100 legitimate, 100 legitimate. Uh, I I just know uh, where, where's Coca-Cola located? Is that Atlanta or is it? Ooh, because because Memphis is Why Pepsi, do I think right? Northwest. No, it's not Northwest. We're terrible journalists. Hold on. <laughs> Where is Coca-Cola located? I think it's in Atlanta or something. Yeah, you're right, Atlanta, Georgia. Sweet. All right. Uh, Circle takes the square. Long story short, Constellation Brands has entered a brand agreement with the Coca-Cola company to manufacture, market, and distribute Fresca Mixed, which is a spirit-based, ready-to-drink cocktail based on the citrusy soft drink. Now, Armando, are you familiar with Constellation Brands? I am not familiar with them. Constellation. So this is really interesting. You know, we've talked about how there's a lot of like, you know, the kind of the old guard midsize craft breweries either, you know, consolidating or, you know, being part of collectives now. Uh, Back in back in 2016, I think it was Constellation acquired Ballast Point for one billion dollars.
0: Wait, 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 no, no, they didn't, they didn't buy ballast for a billion. They bought ballast point for $1 billion.
1: Wait, and what, what year was this? this is not this year. This was in 20, this is in 2015, 2015. What? Yeah, that, it, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. They were kind of like on the trend of acquiring those old guard, you know, bigger, mid-sized craft breweries like we talked about. And. They purchased them for one billion dollars. Now, what wound up happening was it turns out Ballast Point and their brands were not worth one billion dollars. So clearly, yeah. So they wound up selling them, and I think it was in 2019, a little bit before COVID. They got acquired by Kings and Convicts, which is uh, I think another brewing coalition. But they purchased them. Um, the estimate between 75 million and 200 million. So. It's kind of like that episode of The Simpsons where, like, Mr. Burns sells the uh, power plant for, like, uh, what was it? Like, $500 million to a German company. And, like, he winds up buying it back from them for $250 million or something like that.
0: This this may be the worst purchase in American history if they took the an L that big. Well, I, I'm just thinking when Kieran bought
1: new belgium a couple years ago that was only for like three four hundred million wasn't it
0: yeah it wasn't even close to a billion yeah oh I, i'm we we can't talk about what we were talking about before but this sounds like money laundering oh
1: gosh <laughs> 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 well anyway uh armando will you be interested in trying fresca mix the spirit-based
0: ready-to-drink cocktail based on the citrusy soft drink you know what, to be honest, I've never had a canned cocktail drink. Even flings? You never had a fling? Oh, maybe I had a I fling know you had actually, flings. but not those types of flings, but uh, yeah, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, honestly, I can't remember I can't remember if I've had a craft can or sorry, a cocktailed can drink before. I mean, no, I did have you're right, I did have flings. You did give me the gin and tonic fling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so are they just different flavors? Cause I'm really not familiar with, with canned cocktails. Are they only gin? Are they vodka? Are they whiskey? Are they all assorted different types of cocktails? Cause if so, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll well, try it. That's
1: the thing is that, you know, the big thing about Boulevard is that like ours are literally like cocktails in a can, like the ingredients of cocktails mixed together and put in a can. I'm not sure right. what this is going to be. It kind of. Again, sounds like a malt beverage like Zima or something like that. Uh, the fact that it's fresco with spirit based and just looking at the the photos here, they have black cherry citrus, peach citrus and blackberry citrus, all of which kind of sound more. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for cocktail in the sense of cranberry cocktail juice as opposed to cocktail in the yeah. sense of a mixed uh, beverage.
0: So. Yeah, I mean I'm not really a cocktail person. I mean I am, but not when it comes to like, you know, from a can. So I it won't it wouldn't be the first thing that I would try at a bar, but like if everyone's having one, then yeah, I'll have one, but I'm it's not something that I would seek out at a brewery. That, fair enough. Fair
1: enough. So that is this week's in craft beer. Uh we've seen a lot of talk about the rise of seltzers and now we're seeing more ready to drink canned cocktails. So We'll have to see how those turned out.
0: Yeah I, I i wonder I wonder what the manufacturing is. So, like for Fling, you don't have to go into like the trade secrets, but do you guys have like a separate wing where you make the cocktails that's different from where you make the brewery of the beer? Sorry, uh, I'm not at liberty to answer that question, partially because <laughs> I don't
1: technically know. So,
0: oh, okay, okay, yeah, because because I've always wondered, do brewer do brewers also make those or it's like a separate wing of the brewery where you have to specialize in making cocktails? Or maybe it's as easy as it sounds, you know, just Tito's and then you pour some Sprite, <laughs> a little swishy swishy and there you go. You a know, a buck fifty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that
1: sounds a little, little swishy swishy. I think that's the magic touch for it.
0: <laughs> that's right breweries i am free and available if you want me to be your your uh, cocktail craft brewer your
1: pr guy your pr guy so <laughs> anyway uh, no
0: i i actually want to be the brewer with the overalls and everything with a nice little cocktail straw just roll in these barrels of gin
1: <laughs> Unc- uncle mondo's uh i always forget what the term is uh Open fermentation, yeah, we're yeah, literally <laughs> whatever falls in, falls in. It'll be called Mondo's Hooch. Mondo's Hooch, I love it. Hooch take Mondo. Hey, all right. Well, enough bad jokes and enough talk of craft cocktails <laughs> right. today. I have been saving this beer to review on the podcast. Oh, special occasion
0: after the Super Bowl, huh?
1: Yes. Uh, in celebration, we're going to pop the cork. Now, here's the one caveat. Uh, I don't mean this in the sense of like, oh, this is terrible uh but i don't know how good this is going to be because it's an ipa but as we've mentioned before to get on mount crushmore you need a two party vote to make it on the mountain right so this is a beer that hot take mondo has reviewed in the past that i've waited to review and i think now it's it's better time to do it now than wait but this week for our reviewing pre- pleasure i have project hopfish the collaboration between Ooh. Topling Goliath and Big Grove
0: Brewery, both in the state of Iowa. Oh, yes, it is definitely time to pop that guy. Yep. Very, very good beer. You're going to have a very, very good time. You may have some trouble sleeping tonight. Good luck.
1: So, it's, it's such a mighty bottle cap, I can't even get it off of here. This is the first time I've never been able to do it in one, one take. Yeah. It still smells good. It doesn't smell like the hops have fallen off, just like popping the bottle. So, Armando, while I'm pouring this into a glass, why don't you walk our listeners through our reviewing
0: process? Sure. And actually to add what you just said, because it's a double IPA, you can you can keep that in the fridge for a really, really long time and still it'll still preserve a lot of what it has. So uh cool. So yeah, so uh, for those of you following at home, we rate our beers with several categories, starting with aroma then appearance, then flavor, mouthfeel, aftertaste, ending with an ever-changing category, our stonks drinkability quotient. Which is how awesome is this beer? And we will rate it from 0 to 10. And if Reese decides we get a lot of 10s, maybe some 9s on this beer, uh, We did I don't think we put it on Mount Crushmore, but it was definitely at least on the summit. So stay, you yeah to stay through the entire beer review to see what happens. In the fate of this beer, starting with category number one, Reese Aroma. What do you smell on this lovely, lovely beer from Toppling Goliath?
1: It is dank and it is musty. It is one of those IPAs, my friends. Very vegetal. Not a whole lot of fruit on there. I may be getting like some pineapple. I'm kind of getting some of that action in there. But if I recall, we couldn't figure out what hops were in this necessarily. Uh, You're right. And I, I tried digging myself, and I still didn't find anything. So it's a mixed bag. All that to say, more fruit smells coming out now. Definitely getting some pineapple, maybe like a touch of peach. But uh, it smells good for an IPA. I like a big aroma. I like a big bouquet. I'm going to give
0: this a, uh 8.5 on aroma. All right, 8.5. Next appearance, Reese. So... This is a West Coast, right? It's not a. I think I think they a call- double West, I believe, or is it a East Coast? Th- they is that uh, easy? they just name it a double IPA.
1: Uh, so I okay. would assume they're yeah, going to go on West, West Coast, yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, so we got AAAP. It Looks pretty thick from here. A little dark here, uh, but really good head retention. Why don't you tell us more about appearance? Yeah, it's a nice kind of tangerine
1: colored beer. Uh, about a two inch really foamy head, which is now receded down to maybe about an inch. Uh, still very foamy though. The bubbles are quite large and discernible. Can't see a whole lot of action in the glass, be it sediment floating around or carbonation coming up. Can't see through the glass either. You are gone on the other side of that. So, it looks appetizing. Doesn't look like it's trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm going to give it another uh, 8.5 on appearance. Solid
0: 8.5. All right. in our favorite category, Reese flavor. How does this juice bomb taste? If it is a juice bomb, or is it maybe a little more dank? Or both?
1: Hmm. It's much sweeter than I thought. Given the nose of it. Definitely a lot of fruit flavor going down. Good news is the hops have not fallen off of this yet. I was uh, I was concerned given when they bottled it, but it's been kept in a dark uh, cellar, by which I mean pantry, for the better part of the last uh, four months when I've had this. So yeah, it's it's not too bad. Very fruity going down. I get that nice bitterness in the back. Very, very kind of spicy and bitter, actually, for the hops. So I'd be curious to see what that is. Maybe my favorite hop, the Chinook hop, is hanging out in here. But uh no, I I I would doubt it. I would doubt it. Some some old schools in there for sure. But no, I think it's pretty solid. It's a, a good tasting IPA, very prominent. Uh it doesn't necessarily taste like a toppling IPA. It's a little bit different than their usual fare, which is fine. Uh but all things yeah, considered, I'm g- same.
0: I'm gonna give it an 8.8 on flavor. All right. 8.8, pretty high remarks. Mouthfeel, Reese, that is next. Uh, double IPAs. it feel a little heavy? Or because of the lightness or the sweetness of the beard, is that lightening up a bit?
1: Uh, it's got a very soft mouthfeel, actually. A very silky mouthfeel. Not a hmm. whole lot of carbonation. Uh, after you swallow, you get a little bit more kind of a, of the bitter tingling on your tongue. Almost as if like you've bitten into a grapefruit and you've gotten kind of the pithiness in there. Uh, but No. Not too effervescent. Very drinkable. Uh, I'll give another 8.8 on mouthfeel.
0: All right, 8.8. And then we have our penultimate category, aftertaste. On the back end of it, back end of the tongue, any different flavors? Well, you know my saying that
1: I'm going to get on a t-shirt or at the very least a trucker hat is I like my fruit out front and my hops out back. And that's exactly what this IPA does. That's why I like it so much. Uh, on that aftertaste, I'm getting all that bitterness and the more it opens up, the more I am definitely getting kind of that two prong, uh, heady topper kind of flavor that we talked about. Uh, I don't think it's as high of a flavor as heady topper. That thing is, is transcendent. This is, this is just very good, but you know, you don't want to miss the burrow for the Mahomes.
0: You know, it's a easy, <laughs> easy
1: miss to make, but I'm going to take one more sip
0: is it an easy miss to make only on our group chat is it an easy miss to make ma'am this thing is really opening up more like it took a
1: while but it's really opening up uh it's it's a really unique flavor on the back this is yeah it's very old school west coasty in the sense of that vegetative grassy kind of dank weediness to it which I'm all about in my IPAs yeah this is growing on me uh I want to did I give flavored eight, 8-8? Eight? Yeah, I did. I'm gonna give aftertaste a 9-2. Ooh,
0: okay, 9-2. The highest remarks of all. And last but not least, we have the Big Stonks drinkability quotient on this beer. Reese, are stonks up, stonks the same, or stonks down? Uh so on Big Stonks drinkability quotient on this beer.
1: As Armando said. Uh, it is kind of... It's not a Heady Topper clone. I hate when people use that term. But it's its of a very similar variety. It's like a cola, where you can tell the difference between Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and RC, but they're all like kind of a standard deviation of the same thing. Uh, this beer is very delicious. It's too bad that it is only a limited release, so this is probably the one and only time I'll ever have this. But it's very good. I like the... Uh, I like the graphic on the bottle. It's got like, uh, I'm going to, I'm sorry, Jordan, if you're listening, I'm totally going to get this wrong. It looks like it's a large mouth bass eating a hop, uh, but it's got this like awesome kind of holographic Charizard label on it. It comes in a nice <laughs> pint size bottle. So I'm getting a double IPA and a pint, which is, I think the right amount for a double IPA and this kind of stuff. You don't want, yeah. you don't want two glasses. You don't want two 14 ounces. You just want to get that pint out of the way and you're good. Uh, so for all those reasons, I'm going to give BDQ on this. Uh, it's a very solid
0: 9.0 BDQ. All right, a solid 9. And Reese, pretty high remarks for this beer. I think I did as well. Uh, like I said, I think I put this on the summit of Mount Crushmore. I was going to say Mount Crushable.
1: You know, I, I had an idea. If we, if Mount Crushmore is already trademarked, can we uh, create something called Kegatron? <laughs> <laughs> or the Kegazord, something that, uh, you know, in- involves all these different styles of beard. With,
0: like, a Pokemon, like, make a Pokemon card as the t-shirt and then, uh, but just put a keg with, like, wings and a and flame coming out oh, of I was, it. I was
1: thinking more of the Japanese Super Sentai kind of thing going on, but no, I, I, we can do that too. I, I like trading cards. Uh, no, so, all this to say, I don't quite think this is Mount Crushmore. This is probably the best IPA I've had in a long time in terms of like, you know, I haven't had an IPA this good in a long time, but dude, it's going to take something absolutely transcendent to kick Heady Topper off of that perch. And as good as this beer is, this is not the one to do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I think it deserves an honorable mention. I think it deserves best of the rest. It can hang out in the hall of very good. Uh, But yeah delicious grapefruit notes i'm getting some nice kind of jazz mini aftertastes on it now but just can't beat the head man
0: heavy is the heady that tops the crown Woo! yeah heady topper man you can't beat it i don't think i've had it here on draft but um when i was in cooper sound they actually had heady topper on draft that was pretty fun You right on i uh, um, holy cow yeah so can't beat it Heady Topper still on Mount Crushmore, Mount Kegamon, or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Um, Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for more beer reviews. I believe this is the end of the podcast right now, so stay tuned for more. I think we're going to be taking a week off to kind of recharge. Uh, Maybe we might post... How about we post an old episode, Reese, to kind of keep it fresh? Maybe post an old beer review or something? Oh, yeah. Uh, Keeping it going. So, uh... For those of you that are new to the podcast, remember, we do a bunch of beer reviews We do interviews with a bunch of people, so we might post that. Stay tuned on that. Also, follow us on social media. Thanks for being here with us. We're going to recharge and be reloaded for you in two weeks. We'd like to thank you for joining us
1: today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews.